Blog Talk Radio. Is your child a picky eater? Have you considered trying a special diet but are hesitant? Having trouble sticking to a gluten-free diet? Is going gluten-free enough? Our expert today will help address those questions and more. She is a certified nutritional consultant, health coach, holistic health practitioner, and she's also the founder of WellAmy.com. Her focus on holistic healing began several years ago after her twin sons were diagnosed with ADHD and autism, and now Amy is here to help pay it forward to the Generation Rescue community by taking your questions live. Please welcome Amy Hull-Brown. Hi, Amy. Hi, Zach. How are you? I'm great. Good. I'm so excited that we have you because I know um, you've been a part of some of our recent grant rounds, and our grantees are loving their Well Amy boxes, and they love the products, um, and I think it's a great resource for families, so we're really happy to have you today. Well, and, and, and I appreciate that you are doing so much to help out the families because, you know, when you're on the beginning of the journey, it's very overwhelming. Um, you don't know exactly where to start. You're probably hearing a lot of things that you would have never thought of. You know, what would diet have to do with a child having behavioral issues? Or what would diet have to do with a child that isn't able to speak? You know, so it's in the way we think about the body, there, there's a disconnect. And so right. having the grant program, having Generation Rescue, and just the mentors helping new families is huge. Well, we we certainly appreciate the support, Amy, and we'd love to have you as an addition of the the Rescue Family Grant Program. So, for for people that aren't familiar with Well, Amy, do you want to tell us a little bit about what that is and what inspired you to start that? Well, as you said, you know, both of my sons were diagnosed, and so we definitely went on a journey um, of recovery, which it's not an easy journey. Um, at least for us, it wasn't that we got the magic pill and the next day we were done. It was it was a struggle. Um, we did lots of different things, some things we did not have success with. Um, but I stayed steadfast in wanting to help my children and eventually found paths that worked for both of them. Um, and so now that my children are recovered, I kind of wanted to try to help out others. Um, you know, when you kind of made it to the end of the light of the tunnel. You want to help those that are still in that tunnel get to the place where you are. So I, in kind of thinking about how I could help, it really came down to two different areas. One was actually becoming a holistic health practitioner where I can work with families one-on-one. Um, interesting, my sons are identical twins, and I will say that for each of them, the path that probably most played the role in recovering them was different. So I kind of appreciate that each child you have to treat as an individual, even though they all have right. the same diagnosis. Um, so taking a holistic perspective enables me to do that with the families. The other part was it, food was huge. I mean, food was definitely a major component. And I live outside New York City. I mean, you would think finding food should be so easy, and it just isn't. Um, so it doesn't matter if you're in a metropolitan area. It doesn't matter if you're in a rural area. It's still difficult because we are not the majority of consumers. And so I wanted to create an online store where families who have food issues could easily go and say, okay, I'm I'm on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. 
you can go in and you can filter a search by saying those, you know, what you're trying to be free of, and it will only pull up the products that match your needs. So it's kind of like cre- creating your own grocery store with everything that's safe for you. So two I years ago, that. I launched the Well Amy uh, Market at WellAmy.com, and we have like a thousand products. So um, I, you know, I think it's a great resource for families. I agree. And so as a mommy warrior that, that's that been there, and, and you, you're pretty far into the journey, and like you said, your children are recovered, which, um, you know, is a huge testament, and, and congratulations, and I'm sure it, it took a lot of work, um, and we definitely love to hear to hear those stories and to share them here at Generation Rescue. But for, for parents that are out there listening right now that are maybe new and just trying the diet or considering to try the diet, um, what advice do you have as someone that's been there? So... It's funny, you know, when, when, you, when you've done something in your life, it's easy to look back and, and look at all the, the failures. <laughs> so right. hopefully I can give guidance so other people don't make all the mistakes I did make. But even making mistakes, I still got where I ultimately wanted to get. So, you know, there's always hope, and that's definitely something right. to always remember. Um, I think that, you know, a lot of success for the child depends on the parents being in a good place. And... There's not going to be one path, right? And it's going to take time. So what I really want the parents to do is feel confident and equipped when they start to do different interventions with their children. Um, because if you're flustered, you know, you're not necessarily going to be able to help. It's kind of like that, that scenario where they talk about on the airplane, you know, put your oxygen mask on first in order to be able to help right. others around you. I think that as a, as a parent, in hindsight, I would say, okay, you know, information is going to come to me. Let me kind of think about it for a while and say, okay, we want to start a new diet. We know our child has food issues. Give me some time to kind of prepare. You know, am I someone who likes to bake or am I someone who doesn't really like baking? Um, How am I going to make changes? And just kind of being very methodical, um, slow and steady wins the race. Um, don't feel like you have to just, like, rush in and solve every problem right now. So, Amy, how do you know if you or your child has a food allergy or a food sensitivity? Are there certain signs that a person can look for, or are there tests that you recommend? I would say that, you know, a lot of food issues, there are signs, Um, they may not be obvious that they're related to food, but I think some very... You know, typical signs that we see are the skin. The skin tends to be very reactive when you have a food issue. So for a child who has more like that typical allergy, you know, they'll break out in hives, they'll get a rash. You know, our kids may not present quite that same extreme level, but look at the skin. You know, kids are like areas of eczema. I definitely think, looking back, my kids did have that. Um, Are there dark circles under the eyes? You know, or is the flat, is the face, um, you know, are the cheeks really red and rosy or the ears red and rosy? You know, things like that are definitely signs. Clearly, if a child is not feeling well after eating, you know, those are going to be more clear digestive uh, signs. But um, even something like behavior, does your child either seem to get very hyperactive after eating 
um, or at certain times of the day? Or do they become very kind of brain fog, right? They also can't think very well. Um, or or even, um, you know, maybe they get very sluggish, you know, fatigue feeling. So like I said, food issues can show in many different places. I think that sometimes they're so subtle that we just kind of think they're just normal for that child, but they really aren't. They really are the body's way of trying to give us a sign that something's not right. right. When it comes to testing, um, I actually think for, for our population, I do like the IgG, food sensitivity testing. If you go to a traditional allergist, they're going to do what's called an IgE, and that's different. That is a true food allergy. Most of our kids have not a, a true food allergy, but a food sensitivity. And an IgE test will help indicate what foods the body is having more of a reaction to. And I think that's a great place to start with a roadmap. In absence of having the ability to do that testing, the gluten-free, casein-free diet is the one that's kind of, at this point, to me, kind of the gold standard for kids with autism. Right. I think that's a great place to start, and that's actually one of your, your seven tips for, for creating a roadmap and impl- implementing a, a new diet uh, for parents. I know that's a, a blog we just shared with our grantees that you wrote that they've been loving because they're, you know, they're new to all of this. And I think having resources like that to help them get started and I think you know, step number one to create that roadmap and to, to navigate um, is, is definitely helpful for them. Exactly. Now we, have, now we have some questions from some of our um, some of our warriors out there. Our first question comes from Jill, and Jill says, Hi, Amy. My son has been on a gluten-free diet for two weeks now, and we are seeing very little improvement. Any advice? Yeah, and this is actually fairly common. I mean, I think as parents we always like when we can see those wow moments where we see like a completely, you know, different reaction from doing something. But gluten in particular um, is a food that can take quite a while to kind of leave the body so that the, even if you've become gluten-free, it could be many weeks before you actually start seeing the benefit of being gluten-free. So I would say okay. for Jill, um, definitely be a little more patient. Um, you know, maybe at least give it six weeks, eight weeks before kind of reevaluating. Um, if after, say, a longer period of time, say you're just going gluten-free alone, is not showing the improvements, it probably just means that there are other foods that the child's still eating that are still as problematic as gluten. Um, like I said, that IgG testing will go a long way to kind of give you an idea of like which foods are going to be the problem. Um, but, I, you know, again, I think you have to be very patient because um, it does take time. But after giving anything a sufficient amount of time, and if you're not seeing improvements, then it just means you need to, need to make more modifications. Right. All right, Jill. Well, good luck. We're sending you all our best. Um, our That's next question comes much. from Carolyn. Actually, Zach. And Carol- yes. Carolyn Sorry, is Zach. wondering, gluten-free products are so expensive, we cannot afford to live like this. Is there any other solution? So, sorry about that, Zach. I, one other comment I want to just give to, to Jill. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, a lot of our kids are actually sensitive to corn. 
So I do find yes, it. Corn is a, a big, a big one. It's a big one, and I, you know, it's definitely it's like an everything, right? So yeah. sometimes, when, you know, we take the gluten out, but then we're replacing it, say, with a lot of corn products. That may be the problem. And so even when you're looking at like the non-gluten grains, it may be very helpful to look for rice, millet, sorghum, and corn. But really trying to diversify the different other grains that are still in the diet. Right. So, so going to Carolyn. Yes, I know gluten-free products are so expensive. Um, you know, there's a reason why gluten is used so much in food production because it is less expensive. Right. But I think it's important to remember that ultimately you're, you want to recover your child. And when you think about all the other things that we end up having to do to just try to manage our children with the issues that they have, the, the extra expense of going gluten-free really is not that much extra. And sometimes it's just that you kind of have to just get all of a sudden used to kind of the new normal. Um, but at the same time, I'll tell you, look, there are great ways of trying to make this diet less expensive. Clearly, if you make your own food as opposed to buying pre-made food, it's going to be less expensive. Um, if you make your food and then you make it in big you know, bulk batches where you can then freeze it and then use it at a later point in time, that way you're buying ingredients at bulk, they're going to be less expensive. Um, I think there's a lot of great opportunities, whether it's online or in your store, to just you know be watching out for when they have discounts on gluten-free products. Yeah, but what about parents that maybe want to buy in bulk and they want to make it on their own, um, but maybe they work a lot and they don't have a lot of time? Do you have, I mean, is it helpful to maybe set out one day a week, or what advice would you give to them to, to prepare for, for a busy week? It, you know, it's definitely challenging, and, and I'm not going to try to pretend like it's not because, you know, we all have very busy lives between working, our children, school, I mean, just everything going on. Um, kind of going back to, again, one of my tips is just get organized. Yes, if you can kind of set aside a certain day each week. I know a lot of families like Sunday is an easy day. And, you know, Sunday night maybe is a night where you do do a lot of your bulk baking. And that way you kind of have everything ready so when you get into the, the hectic work week, then at least you feel a little bit more prepared. Great tip. Um, and now we have another question. This one comes from Nancy, and this one's actually really, really common. So Nancy writes, uh, my child eats chicken nuggets, fries, and pizza. That's it. He would starve if I eliminated these foods from his diet. Help. Help. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like you said, I think that's, that's probably about 95% of all the kids, right? <laughs> yeah. Whether oh, it's yeah. they're autistic or not. I mean, our kids just have, you know, a very child-oriented uh, diet. So, so this is the key. What I have found, unfortunately, usually the foods that our kids just can't live without are the foods that are probably most problematic for them. Um, I think with any food transitioning, the more you can kind of do it in stages, the more helpful. Um, okay. I think some parents get lucky in that when their children are also try something new and they don't feel as bad, they're more open 
to realizing, wow, you know, if I don't eat those chicken nuggets, I actually will feel better. Uh, but that's not all the kids. So I think just eliminate um, certain foods at a time. Sometimes being able to get to find the gluten-free alternatives are are good enough, like for pizza. Right. A lot of the pizza that our kids like is maybe the taste of the sauce, it's the cheese. You know, there are cheese alternatives. Um, maybe in the beginning keep the cheese in, but switch it out for a gluten-free crust, right? So that way for the child's taste buds, they're still getting the sauce and the cheese that they're kind of expecting, but you've also reduced the gluten burden because the pizza dough itself is different. Right. And then maybe the next phase is... Slowly transitioning them. Exactly, slowly transitioning them. Because think about, like, if, if you had all your favorite foods, and all of a sudden you had to completely change your diet, you probably wouldn't be happy either. Nope. <laughs> you know, if someone took away my chocolate, you know, I'd be really upset. So, you know, it's. I'll give an analogy, um, not to offend um, any of those who are vegan, but I'm going to give my analogy of boiling a frog. And if, you're, if, if your goal is to boil a frog... You don't just take a frog and dump them in a pot of boiling water because they're going to just jump out of the pot. Right. Instead, you put the frog into lukewarm water, which he's already acclimated to. And so then he's not startled by, okay, is there something different going on? And you slowly turn up the heat. So eventually the frog does boil. (laughs) You think we're going to be morbid on this show today? Uh, (laughs) But ultimately, the the idea is ease into changes at a slow pace so the body doesn't realize... Sometimes cold turkey is just tough. It's hard going cold turkey, definitely. And there's definitely going to be a much um, greater reaction or or maybe a a greater defiance from the children if it's cut out cold turkey versus slowly transitioning and maybe, you know, like chicken nuggets. Those are easy to to make gluten-free variations. Um, And and pizza now, there are so many other options that are gluten-free and vegan that don't have any dairy or or wheat in them. Um, So I think it's becoming a lot easier to, to transition out, but it's now just about taking those baby steps, right? Exactly. Exactly. And now we have another another really common question, and this one comes from Patty. Um, and I see this situation a lot with a lot of um, with a lot of the the parents in our community. And so Patty writes, "My ex husband and his family are unsupportive of a diet change for our daughter. They do not believe that diet has any effect on her. Do you have any suggestions?" So yeah, this is a challenge, um, and I think the. There's two things here that are really helpful. One, I kind of use common sense, right? So if you're if you're dealing with an ex-husband, I'll assume that he probably drinks at some point in his life. We all know that alcohol can affect the way our brain works, right? Yes, I love this analogy. I know exactly where you're going with it, and I love now, it because that's the best way I know how to explain it to other people that say that there's no effect in what you put in your body on your brain. Exactly. So whether it's alcohol, whether it's a lot of Starbucks coffee, <laughs> there, there actually are a lot of adult scenarios where we know, yeah, if I take that food, this is what's going to happen. Right. And I think 
if you can kind of start there and say, but that's kind of the same thing that's happening to our children. These foods, even though they seem like, you know, they shouldn't be harmful at all, they're almost acting like a drug. Right. And so they are affecting any drug can affect other parts of your body, including the way the brain functions and with how you process information and how you're able to communicate and how you're even able to, you know, move around physically. So I think for adults, that's a good analogy to use. Beyond that, I just think there's so many great resources. I mean, Generation Rescue has, I'm sure, tons of articles that talk about this, you know, and, you know, there's, there's books out there now, The Gut-Brain Connection, that talks about how what you eat affects your brain on many different diseases, not just autism. Right. Um, right. I think kind of being respectful that for the family members, this can, can again, seem like kind of a foreign concept, but then kind of help, help get them from point A to point B. Give them the resources so they on their own can maybe do the reading and, and get there with you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and like what you said with the common sense, I mean, there are certain foods that you eat and you feel good and you feel energized and there are certain foods that you eat and then right after you feel sluggish, you feel tired, you go into that that food coma. um, And it's not a huge leap um, to see that food obviously affects how you feel and how your brain functions and, and everything. And like you said, there are a lot of great books out there, like Grain Brain, Wheat Belly. Um, it's becoming a lot more uh, understood the way food is, is affecting our bodies. Exactly. So good luck, Patty. Good luck with the ex-husband um, and the mother the, the ex-mother-in-law. We're, we're, wishing, we're sending you all our best there. We have a question from Sydney, and I know we touched on this a little earlier, um, but Sydney's asking, what food allergy test do you recommend? So, again, um, the food allergy test I think is most applicable for our kids is the IgG. IgG. Um, IgG. I know a lot of times you may have to go to a specialized doctor. Um, you know, definitely the, the MAPS doctors or a lot of the doctors that work with our autistic children um, they're very familiar with this testing. Um, so that I found to be very, very helpful. If you're, say, maybe further into your journey, there are additional tests that at some point in time you may find very helpful. Um, I'll throw it out because I will say actually for one of my sons, it was huge for him. And it's it's a concept called phenolic testing. Okay. And phenolic is just a term for molecules that are found in food, and a lot of our kids um, have sensitivity to these particular molecules. And for my son, believe it or not, the one phenolic that really made a huge difference for him was a phenolic that it made foods red, blue, or purple, okay? okay. So he was sensitive to strawberries, which you never hear about, Right. Right. And and I can tell you, we did traditional allergy testing. We did IgG testing. We did muscle testing. We did all kinds of testing. And strawberries never came up on any other test, but this one particular test did find it. And once we kind of found that, it was just like the one blockage that was holding back the recovery. You know, bizarre, bizarre things. Um, yeah. But here's where, again, working with the MAPS doctor, you know, working with, say, a nutritionist who's very familiar with our population, 
they can be very, very helpful in guiding you. Um, you know, so many times we feel like, okay, we'll just do it on our own. But it really does help to get a professional working with you because in the long run, I think it will help you find paths of recovery that may not be as obvious as just a parent. Right. Absolutely. And we, we, we have some of those MAPS doctors listed on uh, the Generation Rescue website where you just you plug in your city and state or your zip code and we'll pull up all the doctors in your area. So definitely check that out and, and check out the IgG tests and um, and, and good luck, Sydney. So our next question comes from Juanita, and Juanita writes, uh, we just started a GFCF diet, which is gluten-free, casein-free, um, and we're feeling overwhelmed. How do you get through the initial start of implementing a new diet, Amy? So, again, I kind of go back to what we said before about, you know, creating that roadmap. Um, you know, being clear of, like, what direction you want to go on, and then as we talked about, um, you know, Taking it in bite-sized pieces, not trying to make drastic changes all at one time. Because, again, as a parent, you're going to feel overwhelmed. The child's going to be resistant. So maybe for Juanita, maybe just take a step back if, if she needs to. Um, you know, as we always say, it's a marathon. It's not a race. Right. You know, there, there, there's no prize to win to become GFCF in the least amount of time. Right. So I would just, again, take a step back. Maybe focus just on breakfast, you know, one meal a day for now, going gluten-free, casein-free if it's overwhelming to do, you know, the whole day. Right. And again, start slow and transition. Exactly. So Marie has an an interesting question, um, and she wants to know, should we only eat organic? That's a great question. Um, So let's, let's talk first what does organic mean. So organic relates to the chemicals that are put on food. And so we're primarily talking about produce, right? Mm -hmm. So the fruits and the vegetables and even the grains, um, you know, are the farmers using chemicals to try to treat pesticides and herbicides? So organic means that the types of chemicals they can use are really more natural, if something is not organic, there's a chance that, that the farmers may be using more toxic chemicals, and these toxic chemicals have been found to, again, be causing problems for our children. So does everything have to be organic? Not necessarily. Um, EWG.org is a great website where they realize that you know, not everyone can afford to be 100% organic. Great. But they've gone through and they've looked at different produce that tend to have higher levels of these toxic chemicals on them in the first place. So being organic, really focus on what they call the dirty dozen. Um, It's just kind of a, without having to go through that list, again, common sense, if if the plant has a very thin skin, so like lettuce, you know, you're basically eating what you find in the garden. So if there's chemicals being put on that lettuce, it's probably going to need to be organic. If it's something like a watermelon where the coating is so thick, you know, none, most of us don't eat the rind. We eat the red fruit in the middle. Right. So because of that, even if they use these pesticides on the outside of the watermelon and we're really eating the fruit, again, you don't have to spend the extra money in that case going organic. Okay. Um, another important food category is meat. 
Yeah. And there I do kind of also recommend what meat you're serving your child. Organic means that the say the animals that the meat's coming from is not eating foods that are laden with pesticides. So that's another place where it's helpful to go organic. And and since you brought up the EWG, they actually just released a new app um, that's a really great resource for parents. It's called Food Scores, and you can you can go to the market and scan the barcode of the foods that you're looking to buy, and it'll give you a ranking on a scale of one to ten with how toxic or how safe uh, that product is for you. Which is just fabulous, right? Yes. So, I mean, technology has just grown so much. It's so helpful. The other thing I'll say is non-GMO. You know, that's another yes. big thing you have to kind of look for. And for certain crops that tend to be more genetically modified, those are crops that also then would tend to have more of the pesticides and herbicides on them. Yes. So definitely, you know, we have to be careful, you know, what we're feeding our children. Um, just become a little educated and you'll be making a lot of right choices without breaking the budget. So Louise wrote in, and she um, she has another organic-related question. Um, and I know we talked a lot about gluten and corn and dairy, but she is asking about soy. She said she's heard a lot of bad things about soy, um, and she wants to know what your take on soy is. And if soy is something that is okay to eat, should she only feed her family organic soy? So soy can definitely have some health benefits. Um, I think, again, there's a saying, one man's food is another man's poison. Mm-hmm. So soy for some people can actually be very beneficial. I think that with our kids, more than not, more than tend to have problems with soy, which is why a lot of times when you've gone gluten-free and casein-free, we also usually add on soy-free. Um, again, it's going to be more challenging to find soy-free products because, again, it's used so much in food production, but a lot of our kids do have problems with soy. Interestingly, soy is one of the top eight allergens. So even without, you know, beyond our population, just kids in general, a lot of them have problems with soy. Um, in addition to that, soy is very highly genetically modified. So like you're going to have, again, that GMO problem. Um, but, yes, if, if you are going to have your kids take soy, then the organic soy, non-GMO soy, is the preferable form. But definitely with soy, do testing. Really see, because I know a lot of the kids have problems with the soy. Um, and part of the reason why it is beneficial for some is it because it does have some estrogen qualities. But again, our children, you know, there's debate on whether or not children necessarily need those estrogenic qualities in their food at their age. And now our last question comes from Cecilia. And Cecilia writes, a lot of products that are gluten-free still contain a lot of additives. Is gluten-free enough? So we didn't really talk about it a lot, but, again, I kind of look at ultimately our kids are somewhat toxic, right, that the reason why these foods are causing the reactions is because the immune system is treating them as if they're a toxin. There are lots of other food ingredients like additives that the immune system, because it's not commonly found in nature, 
is treating as a toxin because it doesn't know right. how to process it. So, yes, I again, I know it, it ends up being a little bit more restrictive, but I've seen huge benefits that come from not only going gluten-free and, and casein-free and, and being more careful about the GMO and the organic, but also looking at the additives, um, artificial ingredients, which are either artificial colors or flavors or preservatives, which enable that box of cereal to sit on the grocery shelf for two years. <laughs> um, a lot of those additives or artificial ingredients are made from petrochemicals. And a lot of our kids' immune systems are actually very sensitive to those petrochemicals. So common sense with health for anyone is really the closer you can get to nature, the more the human body can handle the food. Right. Well, there you have it, Cecilia. Um, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time out to, to answer some of the questions from our community, and thank you for, you know, all of your support of Generation Rescue and of our grant program. I know, like I said, our grantees love Well Amy, and they love getting their Well Amy boxes as a part of the program. So we definitely appreciate you taking the time out today and, and all of your continued support. Um, for people listening that uh, are interested in learning more about you or that maybe have some more questions for you, how can they get in touch with you? So a couple of ways. Um, first off, I do have both a Facebook and a Twitter page. Uh, well Amy LLC is, I think, the, the, the name for both of those accounts. But we'd love to help people out. So if you've got a question and you want me to try to answer it, I have an email that says, it's called AskAmy at WellAmy.com. So we'd love to you know, try to help out parents um, with their journey. If you're a customer at WellAmy, you can get a 10% off discount for being a Generation Rescue family, which always helps the wallet, right? Yes, so just always. So use code GenRes10, so G-E-N-R-E-S, and then the number 10. All right, everybody. You have to go over to wellamy.com and use GenRes10 and get 10% off. Amy, thank you so much. I, I know our, I'm hoping our community is running over there right now. I know I'm running to my computer right after this and ordering some Well Amy products. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much. And everybody, if you have any other questions about diet and nutrition, um, we have a lot of great articles on generationrescue.org. Amy is going to be a guest editor for the rest of the month at generationrescue.org on our chat autism blog with our experts. She's already written a great article, and she has more to come, so be sure to check out her articles, and we have some great articles from Julie Matthews. Um, also, another great resource is to check out Healing and Preventing Autism by Jenny McCarthy and Dr. Jerry Kartsnell. Dr. Jerry runs our Science Advisory Board, and he put together this great guide for everybody out there, so be sure to check out that book. Um, and if you're interested in, in listening to the audiobook completely free, you can head over to audibletrial.com slash generationrescue, and once you sign up for your free trial on Audible, you'll get the book completely free. So be sure to check that out. Head over to generationrescue.org, find a doctor, find more science on, on diets for autism, and check out Well Amy's blog. And don't forget, visit wellamy.com, follow her on Twitter, like her on Facebook, um, and Amy, again, I know I've thanked you 10 times, but I want to thank you another 10 because I'm so appreciative of everything you do for this community. So thank you again for taking the time out today.
Well, I send those thank you ten times back to you guys, too. <laughs> All right, Amy, you have a good day, and I'm sure we'll we'll be in touch very soon. Bye. Bye. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We will be back next month on Chat Autism with the Experts.